Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is Nalima Parasker, the president and CEO of Snap IT Solutions. Welcome, Nalima. Thank you so much, Kelly. I'm super excited to be on this podcast with you. Someone told me, I think a news release told me, you should be really excited about something else, in fact. Congratulations on your top 10 nomination. I, I know that's an elite group to be in as a small business here in Kansas City, competing for the Mr. K Award with nine other highly qualified small businesses. So congratulations on that. I take that best wishes and congratulations with a great stride and hoping that will go all the way through. One of your goals is to make a positive impact on underserved communities and individuals who are aspiring to promote STEM and and foster digital inclusion. How is your company, Snap IT Solutions, doing that? We are doing that with regards with one mission in our mind and a platform to create not only education-wise, we have created solutions to educate our prospective employees, but hired from those training sessions and then created them, giving them an opportunity to implement what they have learned onto real life products and projects. And then eventually they move into a space where they're independently working, either within the Snap IT framework or we place them with our clients. So to explain in detail, Kelly, Snap IT, is working on creating more tech talent from underserved and underrepresented communities. And we do that by creating an environment through our process. The students first uh, interact with Snap IT at trainings. That's our first segment and phase of our company. They get trained in high demand skills in technology through Snap ID trainers. From that training courses, We, along with other IT companies, hire from that talent and we put them on our solved division. That gives us them exposure to smaller, less critical projects to work on. Once they are showing us that they can independently work on products by themselves, we now engage with big corporations and take chunk of work from them and get that delivered through this journeyman or junior talent combined with senior engineers. So you're actually giving people who didn't necessarily think that technology was a career path for them, you're giving them that access and that opportunity. And further, you're providing the training and the real world projects for them to familiarize themselves and to use those new skills. Absolutely. If I remember correctly, you actually have a patent pending for this process. Is that right? Yes. Kelly, a couple of years back, I would say about, uh, 2019, I worked with Stanford and Kaufman Foundation, in fact, to create a white paper on what SnapID is doing. They got super interested in what are we doing? How are we able to make this difference? They came to SnapID's office and met with individuals and said, would you be willing to write a white paper with us where we are showcasing SnapID as a use case? So I took that opportunity to completely write as much detail as I can, right, for a white paper. But during that process, I was encouraged to think about patenting our business process. It was not on my radar, but that made sense because what we are doing is quite unique in the way we are operating and bringing the talent into the industry. We may be 
early funnel to the areas of talent that has not been traditionally accessed, right? No four-year degree in computer sciences, they pretty much everybody has a basic requirement. Do you have a four-year degree in computer sciences? If not, see you later. But seven out of 10 kids in America are not immediately seeking four-year degree, even before COVID situation. So we are losing a lot of potent talent into these financially restricted communities. It's not just about black, white, brown, yellow skins or, you know, gender and all that. It's purely based on economic disadvantage. And that's where we are sitting at. So what inspired you to launch Snap IT with the mission that you just spoke of, empowering people through technology? I would say a light bulb went off when I started you know, giving my time uh, when I was with a corporate job, uh, the STEM education activities started up about seven, eight years back. And I was asked to speak to college students and young adults and uh, be mentor and get into the community more. When I was doing corporate job, I was connected worldwide. I was not really connected as much to my community, even though I lived here for 15 years by then. So when I started interacting with these kids, I came to know these kids don't have the same education and access as my kids. This is still America and this is still Kansas City, but there is so much glaring differences, right? Right. I fell in love with their passion. I fell in love with what they want to achieve, but I do know that they do not have the resources that our kids would have naturally without even thinking about it. That is where I thought, okay, I come from a tech industry where they are losing millions and maybe billions of dollars for not having the right tech talent at the right time because half million jobs on an average are left unfilled. And on the other side, I have brilliant, smart kids, very personable, very excited to learn, but have no access to how do they get there. Mm -hmm. And they have no four years where somebody is paying for their education. They don't have that. So how do I make it, you know, easier? But I did not solve it by myself. I solved it by putting pieces of puzzles together, such as I, I gave a very short uh, training period, four months, three to five months, actually, for trainings based on what kind of trainings. But even that three to five months, if they give their time, I am getting paid for being training these students, but they are not paying that. Because they are coming from an underrepresented communities, workforce dollars come in or a funding funnel comes in for them because NAPIT is actually a certified institute by eight states in the United States. Each and every state that we are certified in, our students are eligible to receive 100% tuition reimbursement. Their true commitment is that the three to five months of time that they need to get themselves involved into this training. And after that, I am paying them while they are learning as an apprentice. Right, right. So it's a win-win all the way around for you, for them, for yes. for the you know the larger community, for the corporations that they'll go on to work for later. Tell us about how you 
got interested in tech. You said you worked for some corporations in the tech space there. What attracted you as a woman in particular? I know that that landscape is changing right now for women, but when you got started in it, that was still kind of novel. Right. So what attracted you to tech? First, I got attracted to be an engineer because my father is an engineer. I would always work over weekends with him doing mechanical engineering stuff. So as a bachelor's, I did mechanical engineering. I didn't do. I didn't choose computers first. You went the harder route, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know, isn't it? I was uh, among eight girls, close to fifty engineer class. We were only eight students um, in mechanical engineering. But they, I was told that even eight is a big number. They used to have two or three, and then probably changed into different engineering division. <laughs> but anyway. I chose engineering and then I chose to go computer sciences because everything is moving towards computer sciences. I wanted to layer my engineering with technology. That is how I entered into engineering. And then when I started engineering in the software area, I started with big corporations, of course, here and locally, uh, Sprint was one and IBM was another big corporates that I worked for. Especially IBM, it was such a global company. I never felt like, oh, I'm a woman and I'm doing engineering. There were a lot of women in engineering globally. May not be in, you know, locally, but globally, my workforce colleagues were, you know, men and women together. It was not very odd for me to see that. But what encouraged me to start my own company, Kelly, is where people used to say, when are you starting your company? And I'm like, why would I start my company? <laughs> so they saw something that I didn't see and reflect on. When I heard that enough number of times, I casually mentioned to my family and they said, if you do want to, we will support you. Let's talk a little bit about that local landscape. You said globally that you did not feel any kind of pressures or any kind of strangeness with being a female in the tech industry, in the engineering field. In Kansas City now, what is the landscape like for women and for people of color who are seeking a career in STEM? It's a growing number of people, but where, where do we still need to go? What's it look like? I think it is communication that we need to We need to have those collaborative meetings where people, I know both sides and I've seen both sides. We don't have wrong people. We just have wrong opinions and wrong opinions become right opinions when we actually have an opportunity to interact. And this is not just one way around. It's both sides. That is the clarity that we need to bring into accepting the mixture of people. Exactly. I sat and listened to a panel not long ago, a few years or so ago, where they were talking about women in STEM. And one of the miscommunications was that women thought that it was for a bunch of nerdy guys who just sat around in cubicles and coded all day, and they didn't want any part of that. They wanted something that was more creative. And on the other side, some of the corporations who were present at this event said, but no, we want the creatives. We don't want people sitting there just coding all day. There's a there's a bigger 
picture here. We need that creativity, but the two sides weren't talking. And so can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to mention name, but I had been to a very prestigious local, you know, innovative school hub kind of a thing. And I was so excited to go into that computer, you know, sciences kind of a lab to speak to the kids because I want to give a project to see. And then I found 100% boys. And I was told that girls are more attracted towards, you know, innovation and creative side, um, maybe web-based analytics and marketing side of technology, but not pure coding. So I kept uh, reflecting back on my initial conversations when I used to go to school. You're right. Girls automatically assume this is a bunch of boys sitting at a computer coding the nerd stuff. That's not interesting. That's not appealing to me. We are heading towards no-code, low-code kind of environment. So tech companies and CEOs are thinking, oh, my God, there's no more of this. The client is not going to pay as exorbitant amount of dollars we used to pay before to only utilize 30% of our products anymore. They want maximized utilization. That means that we have to create products with more diversity so that we have that user-centric products that are created in tech. We can only get that when you reflect the mixture of people who are creating the product with the mixture of people who are using the product. Absolutely. Right. So that's where the worlds should meet. Now, to the girls who are thinking it's a boring uh, work, you know, I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> Trust me. Coding was not the most exciting thing I would do. I would actually go ahead and say that, okay, I'm coding this, but who am I coding for? Why am I coding this way? What makes this particular code more 100% utilized? Those questions are more holistic way of approaching a problem. And I encourage females and women and other segments, minority, think about this and come to the table with it. If you don't like coding, you'll eventually phase out of it. But trust me, you're making six-figure salaries within two years in being in this industry. If you don't want that kind of a money, be my guest. But there'll be other people who like. <laughs> You're right. Somebody will be standing in line behind uh-huh. you that will say, pick me, pick me. Yep. So you obviously, through Snap IT and the process that you have there at your firm, you are fostering digital inclusion. You're establishing new career paths for individuals who might not otherwise have had access to a future in tech. But you're not just doing that through SNAP IT. You're also involved in so many community activities that are helping to further that as well. For example, you're on the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City's Community Development Advisory Council. You're on a workforce board for the state of Kansas, and you mentioned the Kauffman Foundation. You're an innovator in residence at the Kauffman Foundation. So tell us about what you're doing in those roles and the impact of that work in helping to open these new career paths and to foster the digital inclusion. So on the workforce board for the state of Kansas, I advise from a technology perspective, I'm the only technology advisor on the board that is looking at how do we make Kansas a lot more. Our rate of unemployment is super duper low, Kelly, in two point something percent. But if we see the quality of dollars are our Kansans, are you know gaining 
it has so much potential. And technology is a space where we can have our kids stay in Kansas and still make good money and maybe take a shuttle and fly from the new airport to new destinations and still enjoy being in a phenomenal culture like Kansas and still be connected to the world in the United States by the travel time zone. So that is what I advise on state level. How do we make better amendments to inclusive environment? And I also sit on you know, um, CAC, Kansas Apprenticeship Council. We are bringing in apprenticeship program into all uh, Kansas City uh, enterprises and, you know, we're encouraging people there. So I'm sitting on that. And people with disability for Kansas State, I'm sitting on that council as well, trying to be more inclusive for disabled Kansans uh, to get into workforce with high jobs. Just Snap IT has six people with disabilities actually maybe more right now we've hired a couple more into it i love you know that we are able to afford talent and still they are able to afford higher pays by doing that on the federal reserve board i am sitting as an advisor for and advocate for technology for low medium income household so esther george we meet with esther george once once in a quarter and advise her on the state of uh, matters from our perspective and uh, give Federal Reserve Bank an idea as to not just as an economist, but the, what those numbers really mean from a boots on the ground perspective. And things like, you know, the Russia and Ukraine war immediately created a black hole in technology because most of the Ukraine talent went offline within hardly any weeks. Imagine displaced workers for U.S.-based enterprises. That happened. And before the economists are analyzing it, I'm able to advise that this is happening, right? So that's how I bring that knowledge there. And being the innovator in residence for Kauffman Foundation, I created a project. It's a three-part project. First is I've created a customized map, like a Disney map for kids to see what resources are available in Kansas City. It's a fun map that we have created where by the dollar amount, almost all of them are free resources for kids, you know, below 18 years old. And what are online resources that they can do based on what kind of a technology work that they want to, you know, go and explore, right? I've created that map. I've created a black hole map where I'm showing policymakers and city advocates to see what resources are not available in which areas of the city. And then I made a 50-page lit review that advises policymakers if they want to go to a different city and analyze that city, this is how I may I analyzed in Kansas City. So that was the work I did in Innovator in Residence. So your service with all these different organizations, as well as your own experience that you've gained through being an entrepreneur and through your corporate work and so forth, it's really given you a very broad perspective. So when you look at Kansas City and the surrounding region right now, where do you see our opportunities? In perspective of technology, I think the opportunities will come. I have more years listening to me right now, Kelly, from the bigger corporations who's hiring talent. I think we need to make some HR level changes 
to how we hire people, not just because of diversity and inclusion. Yes, it is important and really it not only makes business sense, but truly will make a better community for all of us, right? But here's the thing. If we are stuck with age-old HR processes of hiring, our companies, no matter how big you are at this point, you will be disrupted. How do we implement those at a smaller, probably a progressive, but a segment of your company? How do you scoop out and say that, okay, I'm going to invest in a new way of hiring or new way of doing my, you know, getting my work done? If that process is not embedded into your hiring or your project work, that is something that we will, you know, lose an opportunity. Truly, either we get out of the workforce, you know, attracting the prime workforce, or we just scale up because we have found that solution as a community together. Um, just as an example, I'm coming out of tech CEO retreat by Kansas City Tech Council. We had a phenomenal meeting, but most of us are suffering from workforce, finding workforce, right? Yes. We mm -hmm. want to strengthen Midwest workforce, but we are now poached by both coasts. Yes. They've heard about our work ethic, haven't they? Exactly. So they're coming after our people. We need to come together as a community and tackle this, not only to just to survive, but actually we have an opportunity to thrive. I talked about some of the resources that you developed and how those are such wonderful things to have, but you yourself, you are such a resource. And so thank you for all that you are doing in our community and all of the time that you spend outside of your company trying to broaden the perspective of everybody else too. So appreciate that. Thank you. My honor. Thank you. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Nalima Peresker for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. Snap IT is committed to investing in people and local communities to create cutting edge IT solutions with global impact. Through her company and her community service, Nalima has worked tirelessly to screen, train, and prepare talent for in-demand tech positions. She has made a particular effort to reach into disadvantaged communities for exceptionally talented young adults who simply need access and training. As she points out, with the labor shortage and the rapid pace of change, companies must think differently or innovatively about their hiring approaches. Those that do will benefit from the creativity and fresh perspectives that a more diverse group of employees brings to the table. Thanks for tuning in today. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC, 